0: This morning we are uh, we're back in Matthew chapter 5, uh, plotting our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the longest sections of His teaching anywhere in the Bible. Uh, a section of teaching that's all about the kingdom, about what it looks like to be in the kingdom, about who the kingdom is for, about how to know if you're in it, how to seek after it, what to expect and to long for from this kingdom. It's a profile of the thing Jesus came to build with His life. We've been plotting our way through the first several verses of chapter 5 because they're jam-packed with insight. They're these short, pithy statements we call the Beatitudes. Statements that profile both what the kingdom is supposed to be, but even more, who it is that gets the benefits of the kingdom. What are the people like who are in and for and with the kingdom Jesus came to establish? And we've been seeing a surprising picture from the very get-go. The kingdom is not made up of elites of those who would have been recruited by the Ivy League schools or the top law firms out of law school or whatever. Not the elites, but but people who are poor in spirit, who have nothing. They're bankrupt emotionally, uh, spiritually, morally. They understand they have nothing to bring to the table. It's for those who mourn, those who understand that they are not what they should have been, that the world around them is not what it should be, that they have nothing unless they are delivered from the outside. It's for those who are meek, who know they have nothing to defend and no way to defend it, who know that there's nothing that needs defending that ultimately matters, those who look to God and trust in Him and fret not. And today that picture just keeps getting filled out for us because Jesus tells us that the kingdom belongs to those who are hungry. Are you hungry? What are you hungry for? All of us wake up each morning with things on our horizon that we want. Things maybe on the big scale. What we hope to accomplish with our lives. What we hope to do with the skills we're developing. Who we want to be with. There's big scale hungers and then there's small scale hungers. Sometimes it's what we want to accomplish just on that day. Some purchase that we've been saving up for and dreaming about. Some trip that's coming up that we can't get off of our minds. What are you hungry for? Are you hungry? Sometimes we are tempted to think of our hunger as a problem to be solved. Jesus is going to redefine that today and tell us that our hunger is an opportunity. Not just an opportunity. Our hunger, if it's hunger for the right thing is the non-negotiable characteristic for anyone who wants to be with Him. Without hunger, you don't get Jesus. One of the benefits of taking the Beatitudes so slowly is that we get to, we get to come at them From several different angles, like peeling back the layers of an onion. We're going to do that again this morning. It's just one simple statement. So rather than having to plod through it piece by piece, what I want to do is just sort of pull back some layers to it. I want to take passes over it three different times to make sure that we are getting the implications of what Jesus says. I want to begin by reading our verse for this morning. Would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Here's what Jesus said to his followers. And what he says to you this morning. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is God's word. You can be seated. Here's the first layer I want to pull back. The first thing we want to notice about what Jesus says here, and at And I'm risking stating the obvious here, but I'm going to say it anyway, because a lot of us need to hear this. One of the first things we should notice about what Jesus says is that satisfaction is possible. That's a remarkable claim, and it hangs over the whole statement. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why are they blessed? What's blessed about them? They shall be satisfied translation, it's possible for you to be satisfied. I wouldn't blame you if that's hard to believe. It's not the experience of many, maybe most people in our culture. One of the books that, we, that I referred to back over the summer when we were uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes in our wisdom series, a book about dissatisfaction, one of the books I referred to is this really interesting sociological study by a guy named Greg Easterbrook. It's called The Progress Paradox, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse. Isn't that a great subtitle? Isn't that true? What he does is he takes all of these different ways of measuring quality of life and he notices that all up and down the income scale, we have seen dramatic improvements in quality of life even over the last 50 years. Things that would have been unheard of in the experience of even the most uber elite, uber wealthy of two hundred, three hundred years ago, things like air conditioning, for example, like ninety five percent of people in the West enjoy air conditioning, something that wouldn't have been available even to the greatest kings of France, like Louis the Fourteenth. Now, everybody, almost everybody, gets to experience it. But as long, as, even even as this quality of life keeps improving dramatically, almost on the on the same Uh, trajectory as the quality of life improvements there's also a rise in dissatisfaction unhappiness and clinically diagnosed depression those things have been rising together easter book explains and i don't know how to evaluate his evidence i mean i don't know exactly where he's getting his numbers or his stats but that seems to ring pretty true in my experience not just in my own life but just in watching just paying attention People seem satisfied to you. Do you seem satisfied to you? Can you even imagine a life where you're not living for what you don't have yet? Where you're not living for the time when you don't have to face X, Y, or Z? But here Jesus offers wonderful news to the dissatisfied. In fact, Jesus says satisfaction is not just Possible for you. That's underselling what he says a little bit. What he says is that satisfaction is promised for you. They shall be satisfied. And promised because it is not a target that you shoot at. It's not a reward that you earn. It's a gift that you're given Did you notice the verb? It's passive. They will be satisfied by God. It's not some sort of self-satisfaction that some book at Barnes & Noble can help you tap into. It is a satisfaction given as a gift by God. Satisfaction is possible for you. It is promised for all those Jesus is about to describe. That's the first thing we need to notice about this passage. You can be satisfied. Some of you in here, some of us, especially need to hear that this morning because our lives are marked by rampant dissatisfaction. Some of us need to hear the next observation about this passage. Satisfaction is possible, but another thing we should notice here is that satisfaction is only possible for the hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It is those who hunger who get satisfied. Some of us, some of the time, need this reminder. What I mean by that is, sometimes what we're faced with is not this pervasive dissatisfaction that we wake up with every day and that kind of clouds everything we enjoy, Sometimes we need to be shaken up out of apathy to recognize we are hungering deep inside of us for something that we haven't satisfied yet, whether we realize it or not. Because sometimes what we need is a wake-up call to recognize that the things in our life we're using to medicate our pain, the snacks, if you will, we're using to stave off our hunger are actually keeping us from seeing the truth about ourselves and about our deepest needs. Some of us need that reminder this morning. Jesus is here, I mentioned this earlier, Jesus is building this comprehensive picture of people in the kingdom as people with needs. Not just as people with needs, but as people who get that they have needs. People who recognize it, stop trying to hide from it, even embrace it as the way they get to Jesus. Think about the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who were meek. It's always emphasizing emptiness and need and a recognition of the truth. The kingdom belongs to those who know their limits, who look outside and beyond themselves for life. Just like the other traits we've seen in the Beatitudes, this one, calling for hunger, is not a suggestion. It's a non-negotiable characteristic of everybody who's going to be with Jesus. If you want to be with Him, you have to be hungry. You have to want it. Now all of us, I think the Bible teaches us that all of us are hungry for Him whether we recognize it or not at some level. But there's danger in numbing that hunger. We have so many opportunities to do that in our culture. They're all around us. They're appealing to us every day. Every time we turn on the TV. Every time we drive down the interstate and have billboards hitting us. Every time we open our email and have ads that pop up in front of our faces carefully tailored to our email histories. All of us have opportunities, in some sense opportunities that haven't even, are unprecedented in history, to numb our hunger, to pretend like it's not there, to numb it by what we can buy, by where we can travel, by the substances we can abuse, by the ways that we entertain ourselves to make time pass. Think of these things as pain-numbing medications or hunger-suppressing snacks. They're so available to us that we can live for long stretches without recognizing that we have an insurmountable hunger inside of us. That our hunger is actually a deeper symptom of a problem that isn't going away no matter how often we try to stave it off. If you're apathetic about your life, or if you're just holding steady in a kind of status quo not driven for more then Jesus words are a challenge that you need to hear is there would your friends the ones who know you best would they look at your life would they dis, when they look at your life would they describe you as someone who is hungry or are you numb basically coasting Satisfaction won't come to those who don't see and embrace their hunger. Your hunger is telling you something crucial. Uh, Lately, our family has been going through round after round of this stomach virus that has made life unpleasant in the McCullough household. One of our doctor friends told us though a while back that actually, you shouldn't take anything for uh, your nausea. To get rid of it, sometimes you shouldn't take anything to make your nausea struggle go away because actually that's your body telling you something inside of you needs to come out. Now the coming out process may not be pleasant. <laughs> actually, let me just rephrase it: It is never pleasant. But but it actually is, is important. It's your body, your nausea that you want to get rid of is your body telling you something you need to hear. So we, let me tweak that a little bit. Your hunger in your life is something that needs to be acknowledged, not medicated away by things that don't last, that ultimately have no substance, that are just distractions from the truth your hunger is trying to tell you. That's the challenge in Jesus' statement. Before we move on, I want to make sure you recognize there's also great comfort here, friends. There's a challenge Satisfaction is possible only for the hungry. You need to experience hunger. But there's also comfort here. Because what Jesus is saying is not that you need to figure out what you're going to do about your hunger. He's saying you will be satisfied if you're hungry. What you need to do to get satisfied is get hungry. The only thing you bring All you need is hunger. You don't need money. You don't need a better resume. There's no elite entrance exam. In other words, there is no one, there's no one of you that doesn't have everything it takes to see your hunger satisfied. All you've got to do is be hungry. Every week we've been noticing that Jesus, in His words here, is always pulling from the Old Testament. That was His Scriptures. It's the ones He grew up in. It's what He grew up reading. It's what He used to understand His own purpose in life. And here, He's pulling from Isaiah 55. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. It's a word of comfort for you. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isaiah was promising something Jesus came to deliver on. That all you need to have satisfaction in your life is a hunger that comes with honesty to the one who satisfies. Jesus described himself as the bread of life. The one who eats of him. Who comes and takes Jesus down into themselves. Into the core of who they are. They'll never be hungry again. Bring your hunger and you'll know satisfaction. But here's the last point. Satisfaction is possible. I've seen that we need to hear it, we need to believe it, but only for the hunger. Sometimes we need only for the hungry. Sometimes we need to hear that. We need to hear. We need to be shaken awake to recognize there's not. We don't have what we need on our own. Satisfaction is possible, but only for the hungry. And here we go. Here we go to the core of what Jesus has to say. Layer number three. Only for the hungry who hunger for righteousness. It isn't just any hunger that will be satisfied. It is only this hunger. Whether you need to hear that satisfaction is possible because you're dissatisfied and you don't believe it, or whether you need to hear that hunger is essential because you've numbed yourself and you don't see your need, all of us need to hear that only one hunger will be satisfied. And that's the hunger for righteousness. So what we need to ask of this text of Jesus, what we need to ask is, what is righteousness? And then we need to ask of ourselves, what am I hungry for? We need to ask of Jesus, what he's saying here, what is this righteousness? Everything hinges on righteousness being what we hunger for. What is it? And then we need to ask of ourselves, honestly, genuinely, what am I hungry for? I want to take those two questions for the rest of the time we have together. What is righteousness? Righteousness in the Bible is always about a right relationship. It's always about being in good standing. And in the Bible, that can mean three things. Three different things. Sometimes, same word for each of these three different things, sometimes, An author is leaning towards a meaning that's legal, legal righteousness. Think about a citizen who's in good standing before the the state, before the government. They don't have any charges being brought against them. As far as the government is concerned, they have been who they were supposed to be in society. If you break a law then there are charges brought against you, in that moment you're not righteous. You're unrighteous until those charges have been brought and the sentence has been paid. And then once it's paid, you're righteous again. You're on good terms with the state, in good standing. The Bible often talks about righteousness in that sense. That we were made with an obligation to give everything about who we are to God. That all of us have failed to do that. We've all chosen to worship and serve ourselves instead of Him. And that that our failure to give to God what He is owed has left us unrighteous before his law. There is a legal sense in which we're not righteous. And this is the way the Apostle Paul uses righteousness a lot in his letters. He talks about how if we ever want to be righteous, our only hope is the righteousness of Jesus, which he gives to us as a gift. Jesus stands as our lawyer. He stands as our sacrifice. And he stands before us, taking God's gaze onto himself standing for us like a lawyer who stands for a guilty client. When, uh, before the judge, that lawyer stands for the client. What's true of the lawyer is true of the client. When the lawyer represents the client well, the client's interests are we- represented well. When the lawyer speaks well, that client has good words said for him. It's as if the client were standing there. And that's Jesus standing before the judge, telling the judge, for these reasons, offering up his own life as a sacrifice, for these reasons... This person is what they should be, righteous. And and friends, that righteousness is available to you this morning. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've done. You are not different from anyone else who has ever tasted of this righteousness. It only ever comes as a gift. No one is ever too far gone to receive it. So if you this morning are willing to acknowledge you aren't what you should be before God, if you're willing to repent, and to change your life lived for yourself into one where you choose to honor and serve and please Him, then Christ's righteousness is available to you right now as a present. You don't have to pay for it. All you have to do is receive it. We'd love to talk to you more about what that would look like after the service. Sometimes, when the Bible uses righteousness, that's the kind of righteousness it's talking about. A track record before God. Sometimes, an, uh, one of the Bible's authors will lean in another direction, using the same word, talking about social righteousness. This is the way the prophets love to use that word. Righteousness being when the whole world, the society of human people, are what they should be before God. When they're on good terms with God. When people are loving one another in a way that honors Him. Where they're treating one another with respect and justice and dignity that's demanded by their Creator. And when when Jesus talks about righteousness here, he has that in mind too. And he's promising that our hunger for that kind of righteousness will be satisfied one day when he brings in a new heavens and a new earth, when he removes from from our experience any form of injustice. He's telling us we ought to be hungry for that day. And that hunger ought to drive us to look within our reach for any opportunity we've got to bear witness to that day. To do things that are pleasing to God in society. I read this week a quote from Martin Luther that I really like. Luther talks about hungering and thirsting for righteousness as something that should never be curbed or stopped or sated. And he says, if you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. I like that. It's like simple and clarifying. Maybe I'm not going to ever have the power to set everything to rights. You know what, I don't trusting that Jesus will satisfy that hunger. But I ought to be hungry to do what I can in my sphere. Jesus is calling us to that this morning. But there's a third way that the, that, that the Bible uses righteousness that's mostly what Jesus has in mind here. I'm going to call it ethical righteousness. Righteousness that is a way of living that pleases God. Remember, righteousness is always about being right before God, being in a good relationship with Him good standing, so that when he looks at you, he's pleased. Some of that's legal. Jesus being for us, who we were supposed to be. Some of it is social, our our world coming to look more like God intended for it to look. But in Matthew, it's almost always about us and a quality of life that God wants to produce in us that's pleasing to him, a life that we were made for. Jesus uses righteousness like that several times just in the Sermon on the Mount alone. In Matthew 5-7, to it's one of his favorite themes. So, for example, in Matthew five twenty, he says that your righteousness should exceed that of the scribes of the Pharisees. If it doesn't, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. There he's talking about a righteousness of life. Pharisees were really proud of the way that they lived. They thought their lifestyles were sort of putting it all together. They were the ones people should be like. They thought of themselves as a standard for others. Jesus is saying, they're nobody's standard. Your righteousness, your quality of life has got to be better than theirs. Then in chapter 6, verse 1, he gives us a little more insight into what he's talking about. There he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. All right? Don't be like the Pharisees, whose righteousness is only skin deep. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. The rest of that chapter, Jesus is giving example after example of how what should really matter to us has got to be rooted in our heart. That the way we live, if we're going to be related to God in the way we should be, in a way that pleases Him, it's always rooted in our heart and what we love and why we do what we do. It's never just what we do, it's always why. So he talks about the importance of praying, even when no one sees you, even when no one hears your words to think how good of a prayer you are. He talks about giving money when no one's going to see it. Not even letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He talks about the importance of not worrying or being anxious. but Having a heart that trusts in God. So in this picture, we're starting to see what he means mostly by righteousness. A life that pleases God. That gets genuine pleasure when God is pleased. A life where your heart, in your heart, what you want most is not to be seen by others, but to be seen by Him. And to be seen by Him in a way that makes Him happy. Re- righteousness is a kind of relationship, in other words. It imagines that we, that we are related to God in everything we do. Everything we do reflects on Him. And what we want most is to be at peace with Him. To have the assurance that when He looks on us, He's happy. You know how this works in relationships. Relationships that are especially central to who you are, really central to your life. You know what it feels like to have one of those relationships that's not on good footing? That, that, that isn't peaceful? Maybe when you're not seeing eye to eye with your spouse or some sort of misunderstanding maybe or disagreement with a close friend or a parent. Some situation maybe where you know you've been wrong. Maybe you've spoken harshly or behaved selfishly or betrayed a trust. You, you know what it feels like as long as that situation goes unresolved. It's like a cloud over your whole life. It's this ickiness that you feel in your gut, isn't it? You can't rest until you know you're good. You know you're on good standing. You know that in that relationship, you're righteous. Our relationship with God whether we recognize it or not, is one of these core relationships. The Bible tells us that even people who don't acknowledge God have inside of them a desire to be related to Him in a way that's right, peaceful, and holy. That everything about our lives will be off kilter a bit if we don't relate to Him in a way that's right and peaceful. We aren't living, in that case, in the freedom we were made for. We aren't seeking to please Him and living in the joy from knowing that we have pleased Him. Righteousness that we long for is a right relation to God where our life pleases Him and brings honor to Him. That's what Jesus has in mind. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for a life that pleases God, that's on good terms with God. For they will be satisfied. If you hunger for that righteousness, you'll be satisfied. That's what Jesus means. So what are we hungry for? What are you hungry for? Really, that's the all-important question now. What are you hungry for? And I think, just like we talked about a minute ago with the, when we are talking about hunger, there's a challenge here and there's a comfort here to us in what Jesus has said. In one level, He's challenging us to seriously consider what it is you're hungry for because here's a warning to you, friends. If, you, if you're hungry for something other than righteousness, you're not going to be satisfied. That's a hunger that won't get satisfied. Jesus is promising, blessed are those who are hungry, they get satisfied, but it's only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that get satisfied. So, let me bring this down a little bit further. If what you hunger and thirst for is not righteousness, then even if you get what you're hungry for, you won't be satisfied. Let me give you a concrete example. This is one that most of us, if not all of us, have lived with. A desire to be married. So marriage is a wonderful thing. It's something that is worth hungering after. Absolutely. That's what makes it dangerous. It's what means we've got to ask this question of ourselves. So, in your, in your desire for marriage, am I primarily hungry for righteousness? Is my desire... For marriage, an extension of my desire for righteousness? and Let me say even more. What do I mean by that? Do I long for marriage as a context in which I can be pleasing to God? Is my hunger for marriage primarily a hunger to bring honor to Him as I enjoy the gift that He's given? As I live in that gift in the way that He designed that gift to work? As I seek inside of marriage more holiness for me, more holiness for my spouse. Do I seek after marriage as a context for righteousness? Because if not, then you can give a whole lot of your time and effort, a lot of emotional energy towards hungering for something that even if and when you get it won't deliver. It's common to desire marriage for sexual gratification, to believe that my hunger for sexual gratification will go away when I get married. That won't happen, if that's the primary reason you're seeking for marriage. It's common to hunger after marriage for companionship, for affirmation of your self-worth that you can get from someone who's fully for you. It's a good thing to want. If that's what you want marriage for, it won't deliver. That's a moving target. If what you long for in marriage is something other than righteousness, then marriage is going to leave you wanting, going to leave you hungry, even if you get it. It'll be like a marshmallow or a cream puff that looks good and substantive on the outside, maybe tastes good even when you first bite into it, but that's empty, unsatisfying. I've used marriage is because it's such a common longing for us. Uh, you can fill in the blank with any other longing. In fact, here's your here's a task for you. I think this would be really helpful, even in your small groups, uh, or, or in friendships over lunch, even this morning and this afternoon. Think about what it is you're hungry for right now. Some new purchase, some relationship that you're pursuing, some ambition. You fill in the blank. What are you hungry for? What are you driven to? And then ask of that hunger, what does righteousness have to do with it? Where does desiring to please God fit in? How would this thing, if I were to get it, provide me with an opportunity to honor and please God? Jesus says later in this sermon, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you don't seek first his kingdom and his righteousness then you might get all these other things that you think you want and still be let down. If you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness then everything that really matters is yours. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they they are the ones who will be satisfied. Now I mentioned there's a challenge there. You've heard the challenge. Now I want to comfort you. Because friends, there is some great comfort in this promise. Here's the promise. Here's the comfort. When what you're hungry for in your life is righteousness, then you can be satisfied now, no matter what else is going on in your life. No matter what your circumstances are. No matter how difficult. Righteousness is possible for you today. Righteousness is possible for you. Whether you get what else it is you're hungry for or not. And that means. That means when you're hungering for righteousness. You can know joy. You can know satisfaction. Now. Now. Even in the midst of the hardship you wish you could avoid. You can relate to God as if He's God. Right now, today. You can relate to Him as if He is worthy of honor and obedience. You can relate to Him as if He is the only thing that's truly satisfying. And you can do that right now, no matter what you're facing. That means you don't have to wait to get married to be satisfied. You don't have to wait until you've arrived in your career. You don't have to wait until your kids are perfectly behaved. You don't have to wait until you're settled in your forever home. You don't have to wait until fill in the blank. If you want it, if you crave it, if you can't do without it, then a life of righteousness is available to you right now by God's grace. And that is a life of deep satisfaction. So friends, here's the comfort to you. Let me say it again. The life you're living right now, it may be a long ways removed from the life that you imagined. And it may definitely fall short of the life that you wanted. But it is a life that can be satisfying if it's a life set on righteousness You don't have that promise if you're hungering after anything else. One of my favorite uh, essays that C.S. Lewis wrote is one called The Weight of Glory. I feel like I find an opportunity to talk about that essay at least three or four times a year. So you guys just forgive me. I just love it so much. And one of my favorite places in that essay speaks directly to what Jesus has put in front of us this morning. Lewis is talking about the promise of glory in the Bible. And how glory is, one of the meanings of glory is to be sort of patted on the back. To be celebrated or praised. You get glory when you're affirmed. And how sometimes that feels selfish to us. It's hard to want glory. Should I want people to praise me? But Lewis Lewis argues that actually when the one who's praising us, celebrating us, and affirming us is God himself, then that's what we were made for. We were made to be pleasing to him. We were made to make him happy. And all of us have a hunger to achieve or experience that kind of happiness deep down inside of us that isn't going anywhere. And in Christ... The promise of righteousness that will be satisfied is a promise that we will make God happy. Us. And that in that happiness, in the happiness we cause in God, we get to experience the joy of being what we were made to be. Here's what he says. Imagine what may happen when the redeemed soul beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief learns at last that she has pleased him whom she was created to please. There will be no room for vanity then. She will be free from the miserable illusion that it is her doing. With no taint of what we should now call self-approval, she will most innocently rejoice in the thing that God has made her to be. And the moment which heals her old inferiority complex forever will also drown her pride. This is where Lewis starts to speak in the language of Jesus to us this morning. It is written, Lewis says, that we shall stand before Him, shall appear, shall be inspected. The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible. And only possible by the work of Christ that some of us, any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God, or in Jesus' terms, shall be righteous. To please God, Lewis writes. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in. As an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son, it seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. That is an experience you can taste of today. If it's what you want. What are you hungry for? Father we. We ask of you. Not only to satisfy us. But along the way to change what we want to begin with. We hear Jesus words. That satisfaction is not just possible but promised. But that is promised to those who hunger after righteousness. Who hunger after a relationship that's good with you. And we want that for ourselves. Help us to want it more than we do. Help us to want it in a way that crowds out, that suffocates other wants. Protect us from apathy. Apathy that fails to recognize our hunger, or from despair, that fails to recognize You can satisfy us and motivate us this morning. Our our prayer to You is that You would motivate us this morning by Jesus' words to sharpen up our appetites on righteousness and to look ahead to the day when You will satisfy us. Satisfy us now. Satisfy us forever. With Your goodness to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.